Nearly a decade ago, I found myself filling the hours by listening to podcasts while my husband, Brooks, was training with the U.S. Army. Walking the streets of our Army post, I dreamt of creating something for women that bridged that gap between sermon audio and small talk. It was on the floor of my tiny closet on post that that very dream, the Dream for the Journey Women podcast, came to fruition in June of 2017. And today, by God's grace, Journey Women is now a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Journey Women. Welcome to the final episode of the Journey Women podcast summer series, Let's Talk About. I'm your host, Hunter Belis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women podcast, we chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. Thus far in our summer series, we have talked about how to apply the gospel to food, clothing, and sexuality. Today, we're talking about pain and heartache with my friend, Nana Dulce. If you don't know her, Nana Dulce is a visiting instructor at the Reformed Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., and a Charles Simeon Trust instructor who trains women Bible teachers. Nana has a Master of Arts in Theological Studies and teaches in her local church. She was born in Ghana and lives today in Washington, D.C. with her husband, Eric, and their children. Nana's desire is to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Nana Dulce, one of my favorite people to talk to on Journey Women, welcome back for the third edition of the Nana Dulce podcast on Journey Women. (laughs) Oh, Hunter, thank you. What a joy and a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you, friend. Absolutely. I have had you on the show twice before. Anyone knows that if you're a third time Journey Women guest, that means I personally really love you. You have been such a wonderful, like a mentor at a distance, a source of instruction and wisdom and just an example of what it looks like to walk with Jesus. Thank you so much for offering yourself to our listeners today. If people do not know who you are, you can go back and listen to a couple of old episodes if you want to. I'll never forget the first time I interviewed you, Nana, sitting in my mother-in-law's guest room. (laughs) And I think we talked about growing in godliness, and I can still quote some of the things that you told me. And part of it is that you have a wonderful accent, which people will hear shortly. But there was something about the way that you said, if you're crawling, crawl. It resonated with me. So some days when I'm having a really hard day in parenting, I'm thinking to myself, Hunter, if you're crawling, crawl. (laughs) (laughs) And that's on the episode called Growing in Godliness. And then we also talked about loving your neighbor, I think in 2020, an interesting topic of conversation at a time in which we were all social distancing from our neighbors. (laughs) I am so grateful for your contribution to Journey Women because you are uh, such an example to me of what it looks like to hold fast to the word of God. And you do that in lots of different roles. You're 
serving in a local church in a robust way. You're also involved in homeschooling your children day by day. And then you have recently been given a great opportunity for those who are in the D.C. area to teach at Reformed Theological Seminary. So if you're in the D.C. area, you should check out the Women's Teaching Lab at RTS. But for those who are not local to you, Nana, one thing that I want to tell uh, the listeners is that you can actually learn from Nana at a distance via her brand new book that was just published this summer. It's called The Seed of the Woman, 30 Narratives That Point to Jesus. And I am making my way through that wonderful, wonderful book that you've written, Nana. What inspired you to write the book? I just read it and I'm just constantly pointed to God's word and to the hope that I have in the gospel. So thank you so much for doing it. What encouraged you to write it for all of us? Yes, Hunter. Well, first of all, thank you. Everything you said is mutual. I love you too. And I'm, and I learned from you too. So thank you, sister. As far as the book is concerned, it is one of those books that was literally birthed through just local church ministry. Wow. I had a group of young women here at my local church in D.C., and we walked through the stories of women in the Bible for two years. We started from Genesis and we went all the way to Revelation. This book doesn't do that, but we did that as a group. My hope was to really help them to get a solid understanding of the story of scripture. And I know that women love the stories of other women. And so I thought, let's take this journey together, but use the women of the Bible as sort of our stopping points and tell the story of scripture through the narratives of women. So it was just discipling the ladies here at our church, which I think sometimes is the best way for, if you're going to birth a book, I guess, let it be (laughs) done through the teaching of the women right in front of you. That was the story. And and let it be done through your own kind of communion with the Lord through the word. And I experienced that as I read the pages that you'd written. It just was such like coming alongside one another and pointing each other to the hope that we have in the gospel. And you just did that through using the stories of scripture. So I really appreciate that. That's always so helpful for me when I'm trying to just orient myself to truth. And, you know, this series, I told you, Nana, when we discussed having you on, it's really practical topics. It's things that we deal with on a daily basis, but that sometimes I think we don't feel like we have time to sit down and to really think through how does the truth pertain to my predicament? (laughs) And one of those predicaments that I am dealing with even today, just to be really transparent, is just heartache and pain. So I thought it would be really helpful for us to end this series with something that we deal with regularly as women and that women throughout redemptive history have dealt with and to have you kind of come alongside us and point us to the hope that we have. So what is it? Let's just start. Let's just go back and think through the text. What brought pain and heartache into the world and how does that impact us on a daily basis? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the word pain shows up pretty early on in the story of scripture. The first mention of it comes in Genesis 3 verse 16 and mm-hmm. it's mentioned twice there that God would multiply the woman's pain in childbearing and then He repeats it again in verse 17, applying it to the man that he would eat of the land through pain. And it's so striking that that word shows up so early in scripture because just the chapter before 
in Genesis 2, you have this beautiful, glorious scene of this garden in Eden, this abundantly Mm -hmm. generous God who had provided so much for the man and the woman. I love that it says that not only was the trees, he gave them delicious, but that it was also pleasant to their sight. It was pleasant even to their, their sense of sight and their sense of taste. But then immediately in chapter three, this crafty serpent is found speaking to this woman and he turns her attention to this tree And it says that she saw that it was pleasant. She delighted in it. Like to look at all these trees she could eat from was turned to this one tree that was forbidden. Um, Mm. And she took of it and she ate, served some to her husband. He ate and they rebelled against God. What would come forth from that sin was was pain. Pain in doing the normal thing, the, the mandated thing of producing children, of bearing children and of eating from the ground. But what I love, Hunter, is that the word pain in Genesis 16 and the Mm -hmm. word pain in Genesis 17 show up after the hope of Genesis 15. Yeah. Hmm. God gives this promise of salvation and of deliverance even before he gives the judgment of life that would be painful for the man and for the woman. So Genesis 3.15, God promises to send this savior born of who? The woman, the woman who had been deceived to sin against God. He inserts her into his glorious drama of redemption. She would give birth to this son who would crush the head of the serpent. And so, yes, we do live a painful life, but it's under the shadow of the promise of salvation through the seed of the woman, which is incredible. I have my journaling Bible here. And people who are regular listeners know that sometimes I forget my Bible when I go into the closet. Praise God, I have it on my phone all the time. But I knew today, do not forget your Bible when you're talking to non-adulce. So I just made a note in my journaling Bible because that's such a wonderful observation that you've made here between Genesis 3.15 and Genesis 3.16. I would also love to hear your thoughts on what particular ways women bear this curse of pain that you're referencing in this verse. So what particular way do women bear the curse of Genesis 3.16? Yeah, I think so. I grew up thinking of Genesis 3.16 and connecting it with labor contractions. (laughs) I'm pregnant right now. So this is, you know, that's why I want to know, like what particular, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, It's so true. I mean, that's how I've always heard the connection that, oh, it's because of what Eve did and Genesis 3.16 that, you know, that we suffer in that way. You hear about it in in pregnancy and periods. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) But I think it goes beyond that. And we know that even if you you just kept reading and you went one chapter beyond chapter three, if you went into Genesis four, I think you can see that the pain that Eve would suffer goes beyond labor contractions. Because what happens in Genesis four? Genesis four, you know, we don't usually think of Eve with regard to Genesis four, but it actually starts with her. (laughs) You know, verse one mentions that Adam knew his wife and she conceived and she bore Cain saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So this woman who should have died is named mother of the living and she gives birth to a child that she's hoping actually is the snake crusher. She's hoping it would be the deliverer. But what she will find is that this son 
will take the life of her second son. And so Eve will bury a child. And I can only imagine God's words ringing in her ear, right? In, in pain, you shall bring forth children. She will know the bereavement of a dead son and a second son who is driven away from the Lord. In pain, you will bring forth children. So that pain that women face is more than labor contractions. The word actually, the word itself, in pain, you shall bring forth children. I think that that word itself is conception. And it goes beyond, you know, pregnancy symptoms and periods. It's actually the idea of motherhood itself or those who nurture and generate image bearers. And that whole entire process comes with pain. That pain that we go through goes beyond pregnancy. It goes beyond when you you have that infant, (laughs) how hard it is to take care of little people. We actually have a, a little person here in our home. It's hard work. They're heavy people and they demand lots of attention. But I think mothers will tell you that even older children, there's pain that that comes with it. And then I know sisters who are not biological children. I know sisters who are fostering, who are step-parents, and even those who are working to generate spiritual children. And all of that comes with pain. It comes with incredible joy, comes with incredible joy, but it also comes with pain. Man, I knew today was going to be a great day. I just praise God for the opportunity to get to step into the closet and talk about these things. Because like I said, I mean, I'm experiencing a degree of this pain, not in regard to my children, but probably in regard to like the discipleship piece. It can feel so debilitating, particularly in regard to like investing in others. So, you know, we've also talked about sexuality, struggles with food, struggles with clothing in this series. And I just am curious, as we're experiencing pain in these respective areas, parenting, childbearing, discipleship, sexuality, struggles with food, struggles with clothing, basically all day, (laughs) what hope do we have? Like, what is our hope, Nana? Mm -hmm. I love the fact that all those things that you pointed to, I think we can see in Genesis 3 how all of them are marred, right? Even thinking specifically of the clothing piece and how it's there that the naked shameness of the man and the woman is exposed, but God doesn't leave them alone, right? Like he clothes them. So in Genesis three, you know, everything falls. There's this cosmic fall that happens, but the hope that I have, yes, it's in Genesis three fifteen. but even before then, if I started just at the beginning in chapter one of Genesis, we have this transcendent, incredible God who acts alone. He forms the heavens and the earth. He's the only actor. But then immediately we see that this God who acts alone, who really doesn't need anyone or anything, is still pleased to come into relationship with the people that he's created. So at the very beginning of the story, we see that God's desire is to dwell with his people That is marred in Genesis 3, but as the story continues, our hope is that he is taking us back to that original plan, right? God doesn't leave us in our fallenness, but he enters this fallen world ultimately as the man, Jesus Christ, who will take on everything that was marred in that garden. So even as you think of clothing, just imagine Jesus stripped naked 
on the cross, that naked, the shameness of that nudity, right? He literally takes that on. You know, Matthew 27, 35 says that they stripped him and cast lots for his clothes and they nailed him naked on a Roman cross that he would resurrect ultimately to clothe his people with his own righteousness and to bring us back into a garden that Nancy Guthrie would say is even better than Eden. Our hope as we go through struggles and pain with sexuality and with food and with clothing and with the pain <laughs> that we face in different ways is that God plan from the very beginning to dwell with his people will be realized. Jesus has entered this broken world He has died. He has resurrected. He is the promised seed from the beginning who would crush the head of the serpent. And we are returning to a place where there is no more struggle with sexuality, with food. (laughs) We're invited to a table to feast with him. We are clothed in righteousness and he will wipe away all tears. We are returning. We're going to dwell with our God. Oh, I love how you just tied everything together so beautifully. He became our bread. He is our provision. He will one day come back for his bride. What a great conclusion to this series. This is so fun. Life is crazy sometimes, and finding time to sit down and read the Bible can be difficult. That is why I love Dwell. When I can't find time to read the Bible, I can listen to it. The voices reading the Bible are soothing, They're not your normal narrators. Plus, you can choose calming background music and adjust the pace of the narrator's voice to get things just right. Dwell's newest release is called Dwell Daily, a fresh, thoughtfully crafted devotional that immerses you in the word, allowing you to pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your engagement with the Bible this year, Dwell Daily is worth checking out. I cannot recommend Dwell enough to help you orient your mind to the life-giving Word of God throughout your day. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for your 25% discount to subscribe and spend time in God's Word. How does this hope also help us to endure other areas of pain and hardship, whether that be, you know, we talked about like parenting, but what about like something like infertility or, you know, relationally, we saw that for sure at play in the Genesis 4 passage with Cain and Abel, but like strained family relationships, et cetera, just the type of pains that we experience on a daily basis. Yeah, I love this question. I mean, one of the things that I'm happy to share, even with regard to pain in my own journey, is that I have two children. I have two daughters. So I definitely am not infertile in the way that some women I know are praying for the joy of conception and holding that first baby. But I have experienced what I think is technically called secondary infertility. And that's when pregnancy stops for really like it seems like there's no cause to it. It just kind of stops after after the birth of either one or two children. And so I've been hoping and praying to add to our little circle here, and it just hasn't happened. So again, that whole thing of in pain, you shall bring forth children, I know personally is more than labor contractions. It can even be the pain of hoping for a pregnancy, hoping for conception, right? Uh, and the heartache that comes with, oh, just wishing that there's a baby. And then that month, tells you that no, there isn't, you know, and just the the pain that comes with that. 
But one of the things that I think we can be encouraged by as believers, because we live in a world where everyone faces pain. I mean, Jesus said in this life, you'll have trouble, right? And that's whether you're a believer or you're not a believer. But those of us whose faith is rooted in Christ, we know that our best life is not now. That whatever pain and suffering that we face, I'm reminded of Romans 8, 18, that says that that suffering is not worth being compared to the glory that is revealed to us. We're not living our best life now. There is glory coming, but at the same time, I don't want it to seem like it's only a something that is coming because it has already begun. It has already begun. God shows immeasurable kindness to those of us who are in his son. And if he has given his son for us, what else will he not do in giving comfort in the here and now? I have a friend who has really challenged me to remember that, yes, there is glory coming, but it actually is already here. And we see foretastes of that in so many ways. The comfort that he supplies to us the grace that sustains us when he says to cast all cares on him because he cares for us and to rest in him, it has already begun. And so how do we face these things, all these hardships in different areas? We can throw those cares with confidence to the one who says that we can draw near to the throne of grace and receive mercy today and find grace today and find help today in our time of need. Hebrews 4, 16. And so my encouragement to sisters who are going through different things that are hard and painful is to pray boldly, pray boldly, right? Pray boldly to the one whose immeasurable kindness will be revealed to us, but it is now. And we see the foretaste of it now in his comfort and in his help and in his grace. Mm, Absolutely. I love that encouragement to hold fast to the hope that we have an eternity and to remember that this is eternity, knowing God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And we get to know him by his grace more and more every day. And that is the walk of a Christian. And, you know, I would love to talk a little bit about the women of the Bible. And, you know, a lot of the women that you've detailed in your book, they did not know. Like they knew there was a coming Messiah, but they did not know to the degree that we do how the Lord would bring about that salvation, you know, in Christ. So can we talk about the stories of the biblical women and how they fit into the narrative of the big story of the Bible, the redemption story, and what we can learn from their experience, the way in which they walked and their faith? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, you know, the book that I wrote features 30 women. Some of them we know well, and others are stories that maybe are not as often taught to us. But as I think through those 30 women, in particular for this question, the one that jumps to mind is actually Leah. So of course, we know that there's Eve, and then the next kind of major woman is Sarah. And then Sarah gives birth to Isaac, who marries Rebecca. And Rebecca's son, Jacob, is going to have two wives, Rachel and Leah. So Leah was the eldest daughter. She was the older sister to Rachel. But Jacob is so in love with Rachel that he works for seven years in hopes of getting her hand in marriage. And unfortunately, when he's ready to receive his wife, Leah is the one that's given to him. So she literally becomes the object of her father's deception. And the scripture says that Jacob loved Rachel, but Leah he hated. 
And I cannot imagine being married to a man who hates me. He still sleeps with her because she will end up having six children (laughs) at least, right? There's also a daughter, Dinah, but six sons by Jacob. So he sleeps with her, but doesn't give her the honor of his love. Actually, when you read the account of Genesis 30 and all the names that she's naming her children, each one is literally a name in hopes of receiving Jacob's love. So Leah was a woman who knew this concept of pain and heartache and literally in pain, you will bring forth children. I think that she experiences that and we see that in scripture. But Leah's pain wasn't just in the area of childbirth and this marriage. If you think about it, her sister Rachel is going to die later on as the story continues in childbirth. So she watches the death of her sister and then her daughter Dinah is going to be raped. So she has a daughter who is raped. That's right. And then she has sons who are going to violently, I mean, they're going to kill the men of Shechem because the prince of Shechem raped her daughter. You don't like think about the connection between those stories when you're reading them. And so like you don't think, oh, this is Leah's daughter here. Exactly. Yeah, I wanted to really step into the story and kind of see it from the perspective of of these women. And so she would have been a woman who would have known a tremendous amount of pain. You know, it says that her eyes were weak. And I can only imagine how much tears those weak eyes shed. But they were also fixed on a strong God because one of the things that Leah does is that she does look to the Lord and he remembers her. And so he honors her in that she will give birth to the son, to Judah who will go on to produce the line of the seed of the woman. So Leah will become an ancestral mother to Jesus himself, the man of sorrows. And I love that in a way much greater than Leah. Leah was despised because she was not beautiful, so to speak, right? Isaiah will say that he, Jesus was despised, that they did not regard him. He had no beauty that he should be regarded and he was despised. It reminds me that this Jesus, this savior that our hope is in, is a God who can relate to our pain. We know that he knows all things, that he's omniscient. And so, yes, he knows our pain, but he literally knows our pain in that he came down as a man who was despised, who was not accounted, right? So when I go through those moments when I feel disregarded, when I feel like the people who should love me don't, for whatever reason, I am encouraged to go to a high priest who is able to sympathize with me. A high priest who, because he became just like his brothers, except for sin, is able to make intercession for me. And so I can go boldly to his throne for help (laughs) in time of need. Leah's greatest son reminds me that I serve a God who is faithful and is able to help me in my pain. I mean, that's just one woman. I could tell you about Tamar, who was neglected. I could tell you about Shifra and Pua, who feared God in the temptation to really fear men. I could tell you about Hannah, who was thundered against by a rival, but God reversed her story, or even Rispa, whose story literally shouts for an atoning king. All of these women in scripture, because Jesus is the interpretive center of all the Bible, we can read the stories of these women and they can help us to see, they can point forward to Jesus, who is the culmination of God's work 
of salvation for sinners and the one that the one that we need and their stories shout out for him. They shout out for the seed of the woman who is Jesus. I know everybody's probably a little bit mad because they're just like, Hunter, don't drive the conversation forward. We want to keep hearing about these women and how their stories point to Christ. But take heart. You do have access to this content through the seed of the woman. So you can find Nana's book anywhere right now to continue thinking through these things from this perspective of kind of looking at the stories of the women in scripture and how they point to Christ. But one thing I really wanted to hear from you, Nana, is how God uses our present day pain and our heartache to point us to Jesus and how he also uses that pain and that heartache and the struggles that we face to point the people around us to Christ for those who have put their hope in him. For some reason, this question makes me think of Adam and Eve leaving the garden, leaving Eden. There's a quote Oh man, I can't quote him well, but Russell Moore has a book that says something along the lines of there's tracks of blood leading out of Eden into a world where there will be rape and abuse and murder and domestic violence and all the horrible things that we know about in our world, right? I mean, just turn on the news. My goodness. We live in the wilderness, right? East of Eden. But I love that God didn't send the man and the woman out alone. He actually leaves with them. He stays with them, right? And we know that because he sends his son who was born into this world. He sends Jesus who was born into this world and he will face incredible pain and he will face incredible abuse even because he comes to redeem those who live east of Eden. And so our pain is always something that can point to a God who does that, a God who is faithful a God who is with us, a God who is redeeming, a God who keeps his promises. I can stay with Eve or I could actually tell you about my own great grandmother. So I was born in Ghana and my grandmother, we actually have the same name. Her name was Nana as well. Her name was Nanakoto. So she's my great grandmother. And as a little girl, I just remember she looked so old. I would just sit there and look at her and she looked so old, but she was just this little faithful old woman who would always have her Bible open. She read a Bible that was in the Akan language. It was in the tree language. My memory of my great-grandmother is her with her open Bible on her lap in a chair. At the time in Ghana that she was coming up, a man could marry multiple women. And so Mm. she was married to a man who had all these wives and he was not present in the home. She had 10 children who were often hungry because she didn't work and she didn't have someone there to provide for them. Wow. And as her children grew, her daughters, she had four daughters and six sons. All her daughters would die giving birth to children. Um, They would all die in childbirth. And when her last daughter died in childbirth, along with the baby that she was delivering, she had a neighbor that came to her and said, Nanakoto, I want to introduce you to Jesus. This neighbor shared the Lord with her and she, I'm told that she went to church for the first time and literally just cast herself on the altar and said, Jesus, take me. And she never turned back. She never turned back and her children stopped dying in childbirth, as in her grandchildren. So my mother's generation, my mother's own mother died in childbirth when my mother was five years old. 
So she did not know her mother. But my mother's generation, none of her children died in childbirth. And then my generation, none of us have experienced that. And she credits that to Jesus. So she said that when she turned to the Lord, her children stopped dying in childbirth. So the things that we suffer, I think God can use it to point to a God who is stronger in the case of my grandmother, stronger than idols, stronger than family traditions, stronger than whatever it is that is competing. Jesus is strong and we see it in the stories of women in scripture and we can testify it in our own lives and in the lives of faithful women who have gone before us. Mm -hmm. What are some of those idols that you are referencing that we might be tempted to reach for in our heartache? I do think oftentimes heartache is a particular time for temptation in which we are, you know, looking to temporal things to offer us the hope that only Christ can. So what idols or sins might we want to be aware of that could be a temptation toward us as we experience various degrees of heartache and pain? So this question actually brings to mind another woman from scripture, Rachel. Rachel is Leah's sister. And so she's the one that Jacob loved, but she was the one who was barren and could not have children. And when you read that account, you see Rachel desperate for children, but she seems to be looking to everything but to the Lord. And so she goes to Jacob and she is saying, give me children. So she goes to her husband. She turns to these mandrakes which were these like fertility inducing fruit. She turns even to her maidservants, right? And gives her maidservant as a surrogate. And finally, at the end of the account, it says that she prayed and the Lord remembered her and gave her a son. And she names her son Joseph, which is a name and a prayer. Joseph means add another. And so she's still desperate for children. And one of the things that Rachel does is that she goes to when Jacob is getting ready to leave his father-in-law, Rachel goes and takes her father's household gods. Commentaries say that these were little nude figurines that possibly was believed to help with infertility or to make one fertile. Oh, interesting. And so it may have been possible that Rachel was looking for some extra added security. Yes, I'll look to the Lord. But just in case he doesn't come through in the way that I want him to, let me grab onto this other thing for some extra security. And I think we do that often, right? We do that. It's actually called syncretism. Syncretism is when you mix true faith and religion with some other kind of thing. And often I think we're tempted. We're tempted to do that. And so, yes, yes, I trust in the Lord, but maybe I just need to make sure that the bank account is at a certain time because there's a recession and things are really expensive. Uh, And so maybe my security is in how much we've saved, right? Or my security is going to come from, I'll just feel a lot better about myself if I lose a certain amount of weight, or it could be anything. It could be anything for us. But I think that when we're going through heartaches and pain and uncertain time, there is a temptation to hold on to something for some extra security. But Man, God invites us to cast our full weight on him. I think that his track record has shown that he's able to hold us and he's able to keep us. If he's given his son to die on a cross, what else will he not do? We are encouraged to trust him, knowing that he is faithful and that his faithfulness has been proven. So may he help us to do that. May he help us to Mm -hmm. cast our full weight upon him and trust that he is good 
no matter the outcome before us. Absolutely. I love looking to the promises that he made us that are embedded throughout these stories that we've been talking about today in scripture and how those were fulfilled in Christ. So how can we trust in the promises of God and in his character in the midst of our suffering? And what do we really learn about who he is as we navigate whatever hardships he allows in our lives? remembering his track record. I just mentioned that that track record is faithful. And where do we see that? We see it in the scriptures. So turning to God's word itself and seeing his faithfulness, perhaps also God's faithfulness through the stories of older saints, whether it's church history or even stories like my great-grandmother's, these boast of the testimonies of what he's done. And then turning to brothers and sisters in the church today and hearing their testimonies, right, of God's faithfulness to them. So I think we can look to scripture, we can look to church history, and we can look to brothers and sisters today, and then we can also turn to prayer. Because sometimes our memories are really short. (laughs) When I'm in pain, I am tempted to forget. But having people who remind me of truth is so important. And praying that God would help me not to forget is is also very, very important. Our God is a good father. He doesn't always spare his children from suffering, but he never leaves us alone to bear it. He's with us in our suffering. And we need people uh, and stories and and the scriptures to help us to remember that. Amen. You know, I referenced earlier in this conversation that I am pregnant. And one of the things that I keep in mind when undergoing childbirth is this is not going to last longer than 48 hours. This pain isn't going to last forever. I I think that's one truth that I hold on to practically uh, when I'm undergoing labor and delivery. But we can think about this, this whole period of our lives as kind of, you know, this experience of of pain and knowing that there's something greater that's to come. How do we think about that? When will the relief finally come for us as believers? Does pain have an end date? Yes, pain has an end date. Um, (laughs) Praise God. Yes, it does. And of course, only God knows that date within the timeline of history, right? But we know that there is a date coming when the culmination of all history will be known to everyone. The second advent, when Jesus returns, Revelation 21.4 says this, it says, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall Mm. there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That is true. And it will one day happen. We will see it. And so we praise God for it. But again, remembering my friend who encourages me to, yes, look to that date But remember that there are foretastes of it now. There are foretastes of it now where we can be believers who are mourning, but not as those without hope. I'm remembering I have a friend now, a sister who is going through cancer treatment. So she's actually currently going through chemotherapy. And it is a painful, painful thing that she's enduring. But what amazes me is her singing amid her pain and her calling out to God and remembering his faithfulness. Hunter, I think when we see that, it is a foretaste of that coming day when he will wipe away the tears and the mourning and the pain. When you have a believer who lives in the reality of pain and yet is mourning with hope, I think we're seeing, we're seeing a little glimpse of that. 
we're seeing a God who is able to sustain and comfort and help. That is the same God who will wipe away the tears, who will take away the death, who will take away the, uh, the mourning and pain will be no more. I love this picture of your friend kind of coming alongside you and reminding you, yes, you're experiencing pain. Yes, it will one day be over, but you have hope right now. How can we come alongside each other in heartache and pain? This is a really simple question, right, that I think we all could kind of offer a churchy answer toward. But let me just say, I think this is one of the areas that we struggle with the most in like Christian community. We often neglect to acknowledge one another's pain. We will often offer a trite latitude to try and just, I don't know, move on. It's hard for us to really experience pain alongside one another because it's uncomfortable. We don't like it. So how can we do a good job of that in our churches, in our homes, and in our friendships? I agree with you. This is a hard area for us. And I think I'm learning it more and more myself, to be honest, just thinking through even that friend and others who have suffered. What my friend is asking for is prayer. And so she sends out little updates and she has specific things that she's asking for people to pray about. Uh, And one of the ways I think I can serve her best is to believe her (laughs) and to pray. So if she's saying, this is how I need you to serve me, to believe that it really is how I need to serve her and to pray and to pray for her. I think that we can also just sit with people to, to let them know that we are, we're there, the presence, find ways perhaps to serve. I don't live in the same state with her, but I know of others who do live in the same state as her who have been packing her fridge with food. And she's been so thankful for that. And then the other thing that maybe we can do, Hunter, I'm beginning to see more and more and really appreciate more and more Jesus as the man of sorrows. We can be uncomfortable with pain, just like you mentioned in the church. I think sometimes we think we just need to smile and to, you know, give our praise, cliche, cliche words. But ours is a savior who's literally called the man of sorrows. Jesus came and knows what it is to suffer. He was beaten. He was rejected. He really went through a lot of incredible suffering. And scripture says that he is a faithful high priest because of that. There was a podcast I was listening to that mentioned how, you know, the horrific shooting in Duvalde, Texas of the the children. Yeah. What I heard in this podcast is that there are parents around the country who know what it is to lose a child in school shootings. And they rushed to Texas to be with those parents because the community could mourn with them. But there is something about sitting across from another mother who's been through that. You know that she understands your pain at a level that maybe others may not. I am just overwhelmed by the idea that ours is a God who can understand our pain because he has suffered it. Jesus knows it. Because he is omniscient, but Jesus has experienced it. And so he knows what we're going through. This should encourage us to be bold in our prayers for each other. The God who literally knows what it is to have pain in your body. That's the God I'm praying to for this friend who has pain in her body. I think it can help us to be bold. And maybe it can help us also not to be so quick, just to throw the cliches but to remind each other that ours is the man of sorrows. He's Mm. able to intercede and he's with us. He's with us. Mm. 
I said many times after my dad's death that all of a sudden I became this member of a club of people who have lost their parents, particularly people who have lost their parents at a young age. And it's so interesting how you pointed out, yes, those people can come alongside you in specific ways, comfort you with the comfort that they've received from Christ in ways that maybe others can't. But how much more can Christ comfort us, as you referenced in the Hebrews 2, 17 and 18 passage earlier? (laughs) He has been made like us in every way, and yet he suffered and did not give in to temptation. So thank you so much for just the way that you have pointed us to him. I hope that it encourages people who are walking through so many different you know, scenarios that involve heartache and pain, just to press into him and to allow him to minister to them in their pain. Do you have any resources that you would recommend for people who are walking through that kind of circumstance right now? Yeah, there are two books that come to mind and both are newer releases, actually. The first is He Will Be Enough, How God Takes You By the Hand. Katie Ferris, right? Through Your Hardest Days by Katie Ferris. And I love that book. It's like a journal devotional. And each chapter comes with a passage. It comes with just her sharing her own story. But then it also comes with a prayer at the end. It's literally just her pointing you to the God who will be enough in your hardest days. And the second one is called Invitations to Abundance. How the Feasts of the Bible Nourish Us Today is by Alicia Akins. The topic isn't straightforwardly suffering, but I know Alicia personally, actually. And I know that this book came through a lot, a season of incredible suffering for her. And so she says that when she's when she was writing this book, she literally had the person who is disillusioned right now. That's the person she had mm. before her. I've been referencing her throughout. The friend that has wow. really challenged me to see God's Glory and coming rest, not just as an eternal to come, but the foretaste of it now. And so Mm. God is a God who invites us to his table and it is abundant and it is today. So that's the second resource I would recommend. So excited about those. Certainly, it's just such a blessing to have such an abundance of resources that the Lord does use to encourage us in our time of need. You know, Nana, I've had you on the show two times before People can go back and reference those episodes to hear your three simple joys. This feels like a little bit of an oxymoron, the way that the spin on the question that I'm taking this particular episode, but I also feel like it's such a picture of life on this side of eternity, like holding joy and sorrow together. What are three of your simple joys when it comes to walking through heartache and pain? I think just the presence of my husband, knowing that he's there. And may the Lord make that so for many years. And then the second is the scriptures. Absolutely. The scriptures. And then the third is hymns. And so there's something about going through a hard season where I just sing like never before. Hymns that point me to Christ, that point me to scripture, they become bittersweet as I sing them. And so they are definitely joys amid moments of sorrow. Mm-hmm. Johnny Erickson Tata has been such a testament to me of what it looks like to sing your way through suffering. And I could not resonate more with what you said. It's wonderful how the Lord ministers to our hearts through his word as we're going through various heartaches and pains. I mean, when my dad died last fall unexpectedly, I told many, many people that I was given many, many books on grief. And there was only one book that really could minister to my heart. And interestingly, 
it was almost every page of that book. It wasn't like you needed to turn to the cliche kind of chapters that we often reference in regard to pain and heartache. It was like, no, the Lord was using all of his word to minister to me in my time of need. So for sure, if you walk away with one thing from this episode, turn to the word and ask God to meet you through his word. I know that's Nana's heart as well. Nana, you've had such a great impact on the way that I know and love God and his word. Tell us who's had a great impact on the way that you navigate some of these difficult seasons as you interface with them in your life. Yeah. The person that came to mind right away is my best girlfriend. We met many years ago now in seminary and we've just been friends since then and we pray together every week. She's a woman who's known a lot of pain, a lot of moments of sorrow, and also someone who's there to hear my <laughs> confessions and just, you know, hear from me when I'm going through. But I think what encourages me the most is that uh, like even as you were talking about how the church we don't always get it right when we're walking with people through pain. This is a sister who, you know, I'm not saying her name because she's always gotten it perfectly right, but she's there and she's consistent and she is praying. And even when it doesn't come out perfectly, she is reminding me of God's word. My hope is that this answer actually encourages us, right? That we don't Mm. always have to be perfect because we're not. But even when we're messing up, if we remain present, if we remain prayerful and we remember the scriptures we can be helpful to each other when we're going through pain. If you're crawling, crawl. Yes. And maybe look over at the sister crawling next to you and say, hey, I'm here for you. <laughs> let's go. Let's crawl on. Ah, thank you so much for being that to me, even at a distance, and for doing that for all the Journey Women listeners today, Nana. It is a joy, as always, to have you on the Journey Women podcast. Thank you, Hunter. It is a joy to be with you always. We pray this conversation with Nana encourages you as you face various hardships and trials today. If you've enjoyed hearing from Nana, make sure you snag a copy of her book, The Seed of the Woman, which is available wherever books are sold. Hey, this is the very last episode in our current series, Let's Talk About. So be sure to subscribe to the Journey Women podcast so you don't miss out on our next mini series that releases this September. Let me tell you guys, it is going to be so good. While you're there, consider leaving us a rating and review. It really does help get the podcast into the hands of other women who might find it helpful on their journey to glorify God. This episode was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound On Studios. You can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com. We are so grateful for them and for you. Have a great rest of the summer and we'll see you this fall.